Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 153. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Happy Thanksgiving, America. We're taking a break to be with our families this holidays and to reflect on how much so many others are going through around the world. But before we do that, we've got an extra helping of the helpers for you. Because we know you don't need any more stuffing. As America faces power fights like we've never seen before, we're taking some time to look back at a conversation with a voice that knows a little something about fighting the power. Chuck D. is the legendary founder of Public Enemy, and he joined us back in episode 86 on January 20th, 2020, to explore and explain Fighting the Power 2020 style. It was a classic conversation with Chuck D., an American classic, a voice of consciousness, outrage, inspiration, and action for over 35 years, and it was unplugged and uninterrupted just when our country needed it the most. Chuck's one of the most iconic and important American artists of the last century. He's an activist, organizer, inspiration, and the ultimate angry American. He's testified before Congress. He's co-hosted a political radio show with The Daily Show founder Liz Winstead and MSNBC's Rachel Maddow, a show I used to go on all the time. And he's collaborated with artists ranging from Prince to Anthrax to Sonic Youth to Rage Against the Machine to Gary Clark Jr. to Logic to Sheryl Crow. Which would make a hell of a Thanksgiving dinner if you got them all together. But Chuck is the powerful driving force behind arguably the most disruptive hip-hop group in history. Born into the intersection of culture and politics, the hip-hop trailblazers have interpreted the righteous anger of millions worldwide for decades. In the late 80s and 90s, their first four albums went gold or platinum, and they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and honored this year with a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. Chuck and I have been friends for almost two decades, and this is Chuck, inside his home, raw, candid, and without interruption. You could say Chuck and I know how to throw punches. And our conversation will give you advice on fighting the power and living life that will leave you inspired for the tough fights ahead after Thanksgiving. Chuck is a real and fascinating creative mind that breaks down the results of the election, sizes up Donald Trump and Joe Biden, and offers analysis on why New Yorkers and Trump are uniquely powerful right now. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. It was true then, and it's true now. And few artists in American history have been more angry than Chuck D. But more than anyone else, Chuck's work and life is a demonstration in how to turn that anger into positive impact and history-making art. 
Chuck is a perfect guest to bring back for these times. And this is an essential episode and one of my favorites. Welcome to a conversation about freedom and what it means to fight the power. Welcome to a conversation with an American icon. Welcome to a conversation that will give us all reason to be thankful. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 253. Fight the power! Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the globe. This is a guest I have looked forward to having a conversation with before I had this show. When I sat down and created the idea for this show, at the top of the list is the man we're going to talk to in this episode. A man who is a leader, an innovator, a voice of truth, a voice of conscience, a very generous friend, and I think a voice for all times, but especially for this time, we are joined by the great and powerful Chuck D. Paul R. Paul Rykoff. <laughs> and um, you, you prefaced this to being episode 86, and uh, that's when I signed my Def Jam contract in 1986. So it was a different world. Uh, I think the Challenger exploded that year. Wow. The Mets won the World Series, and I signed my first contract, which was about 34 years ago. And here we are in 2020. My first recording uh, contract with Def Jam, I should say. So here we are. And and wow. it's good being on this side of the seat because we've graced each other on either sides of the seat, me interviewing you, uh, albeit with Liz Winstead and, and, and Rachel Maddow and, uh, um, on Air America. And then here we are. Uh, here I am on the other side of your seat. So why not, man? Uh, it's a it's a great honor. I've told this story before, but I think your show with Liz and and Rachel at Air, I think it was the first like in studio radio interview I ever did in my life. Really? I, yeah, I had just come in, uh, you know, was was uh, like doing my very first media tour in two thousand four. I was just back from Iraq, and right. somebody called me up and said, "Hey, you want to do Chuck D's radio show?" And I was like, "Is this a fucking joke? Is this real?" Yes. And I was like, how many friends can I bring? <laughs> it was like, it was, it was a real honor and a moment and, and, a, and, a, and something I'll always remember, especially because you were gracious, you were kind, you were so engaged, the whole crew was. But, but it really, it kind of, it also inspired me a lot, Chuck. I mean, you've inspired me throughout my career. You've been a great friend. You, you know, you reviewed my book. You've been looking out for me in a lot of ways that I'm very, very grateful for. But, you know, how it started really left an impression on me. And I want people to know that. And I want you to know how grateful I am for, for how it started with us. Oh, man, thank you. I mean, like I say, indirectly, you were Rachel's favorite. And you kept making returns. And uh, I don't know how many times you've been on Rachel's show since she's been such a, uh, a TV uh, news superstar. But I always called her the Edward Murrow of what we were doing. I mean... The, the woman would put in 30 hours in a 24-hour day. I'd be like, yo, and research to the T on a radio show. So when she was uh, a little bit kind of like, not apprehensive, but kind of like torn between the being thrust right into the super spotlight on television and having to be seen every day, uh, 
she was a little ambivalent about it. But then we've come into the, the time right now where people in 2020, and you know, as a, as a show that's also visual as it is audible, people listen with their ears. I mean, they, they listen with their eyes mm-hmm. a little bit too much. They li- they're listening with mm-hmm. their eyes, which means a lot of them are not really lis- listening at all because what they see, you know, is what they respond to. Uh, so you could throw something out there that's far from the fact. And because people will see it, they'll go chase it like a bone. And, um, but Rachel got into that, uh, that high level media with the same aplomb, the same ethic that she did on radio and many times before in print journalism and also radio. Uh, so that was, uh, that was an added, uh, uh plus to her attributes and, I added the musical cultural side and Liz added the entertaining comedic side and that combination on unfiltered, you know, was really fantastically groundbreaking. And here we are, you have your show, people watch, but also people listen, but sometimes people watch more than listen. Sometimes people listen more than watch, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but the people that's checking you out, they're they're doing both with with equal antennas up. So I'm Mm -hmm. glad to be on man. Well, it's it's really an honor and you've inspired a lot of what I'm doing. When you in when you guys were in that it was in Midtown, I remember there were wires hanging out of the wall. You had all these characters coming through. I had Mick Foley, the wrestler, on a couple of weeks ago. He was in the hallways. You know, now you've got Mark Marin and Rachel and all you had a senator in Al Franken, you know, all these Al people kind of popping out of there doing different things. But talking about Maddow, because I think she's so important for these times, you are you're a great eye for talent, right? And you've supported so many people coming up when you saw them in the early days. Did you know, you know, did you see that talent early on? Did you know she was going to be as big as she is now? Um, myself and Liz and people that actually brought Rachel in, they knew it from jump because of her work ethic. Her work ethic was 30 hours a day, like I said before, in a 24-hour day. After we would do the show, that's when, I mean, she would be in the office till like eight or nine at night preparing for the next day. She was like, like Jordan in news, you know? Yeah. And I used to always say, Oh, there goes out Edward, Edward Murrow, <laughs> you know? But yeah, we knew that. I mean, without question, without question, it's like when you see somebody and you see that ethic and you see that the skill that she also brought to the broadcasting table, it was like, uh, Oh, nothing could stop her. Mm. Nothing has stopped her. Nothing stopped you. I want to get through uh, politics. Want to talk about music. Want to talk about everything happening in the world. Uh, And I'm really excited that you're with us at this moment. But I want to ask you a question, Chuck, that I've been asking all of our guests. Everybody's facing the pandemic differently, but we're all in it together. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's a really unifying time, but it's a hard time and everybody's got a different viewpoint. So, Chuck, where are you and how are you? I'm on the planet Earth. I'm an Earth ascendant. I'm a culturalist. And I deal with the 24 uh, time zones on the planet with people in every single continent over the seven lands and the seven seas. And um, right now, in this day and time, um, what had just happened in the presidential transition in the United States that we're still going through, we hope that this is a one world. And I'm a full believer that there is one world that we're dealing with. We don't know any world here after we don't know any world before. We don't know if we can, although Elon Musk is sending people now, you know, in, in, in outer space. But, you know, we don't know of any other place that, that we can uh, inhabit 
that will actually give us the same quality of life that we have here on earth. So we take care of this place, the one rock mm -hmm. and, um, and figure this place out before we just destroy it. And so when things come up like climate concerns and that the United States detached itself from the climate concerns or the, the countries convening in Paris right there, it tells you that something, somebody's at least drunk at the wheel. Mm. And at least so if somebody sleep at the wheel, you can kind of talk them and kind of pull the car over <laughs> to the side of the road. When somebody's drunk at the wheel, depending on their drink and, uh, and how intoxicated they get, it might be hard to rest the wheel away. And that's what we're going through right, right about now. Mm. So uh, the politic at, at hand is concerned with figuring out how the United States could reattach itself to the planet instead of isolating itself away from the planet, which I think is always problematic when you have um, individual situations drift away from the planet and trying to get away from maybe sometimes the awkward, uh, I would say the awkwardness of knowing that you have to convene and and get along with a place where you're set up different or your cultures are different, your societies are different, and you gotta kind of meet halfway to figure out, listen, we're all dealing with human beings. We're not handling human beings, mm -hmm. you know? Um, you handle maybe pets, you handle machines maybe <laughs> before they actually end up managing you, but you don't handle human beings, you deal with human beings. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the best way I think government should be. I'm a firm believer that governments and i say governments with an s plural because it's not one government it's just like it's 215 of them in the world governments could you know could fall into being the cancer of civilization if they're not true honest and truly for you know maintaining this planet and its inhabitants um culture likes to bring human beings together culture brings human beings together for our similarities and knocks the differences to the side. That's the beautiful thing of it being a communicable language of, of not just say, but also do. But um, when you get down to governments who like to slice people up, co compartmentalize, categorize, divvy, you know, rich, poor, whatever, and get that, it can lean into an area where it's just unfair. Mm. And like the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, he says, if that's the law and the doctrine that's printed and made up we just wanted to follow the rules that it has on paper in real life you know that's it and, and that's probably been always the angst of public enemy it's like if the documentation once said black people were three-fifths of a human being even less than cattle and considered chattel to be sold as property then we must be the enemy to the public because that's the document that the public goes mm. by so you want to you want to always do things like this. I'm a firm believer. And even the Nation of Islam teaches this. If you want to say an organization that has helped black people see through some of the muck and mind in the United States, one, one of many organizations, but the organization, I think, politically, spiritually, was along, along the right line to capture my, my interests. And, um, and they, they have a firm belief that wherever you're at in the world, abide by the law of the land where you live and reside. And if I said fight the power, obviously it's like, you know what? Learn the law, to engage in the law, to be within the law, to change the law. That's how you fight the law, to fight the power. Mm. But you, you, you can't 
I mean, you might disagree with the law, but you got to learn the law and engage in the law and, and in order to wrestle and dance and even defeat the law if it's uh, wrong, if it's unjust. You got to beat the law from, from the inside. It's, I don't, war is an ugly word and it's tossed around too easily and too simply like anybody can step in and do it. You don't want that. It's mm -hmm. too much of a, uh, of a resume and too much of a proof that it's not, it doesn't bode well for the planet. Mm. See, this is why I'm so happy you're here right now. You are a man of the globe. You are a man of tremendous ex experience. But I'm, a, I'm a man of, of the man, man of long-winded answer. <laughs> that's okay, too. That's another reason why podcasts are great. I got no Viagra commercials to throw to. We can go as long or as short as we want. But let me let me go back. So so physically, your your grid square. You are on the West Coast somewhere right now. Is that right? No, no, not really, not really. But I go you're in parts West unknown. We'll say. You're, unknown. you're in an undisclosed location. That's what I've been saying yeah, for the last yeah. couple of months since everything went down. And it sounds like you're, you're doing okay in the pandemic. I mean, you're processing a lot. You're, you're, you're doing hundreds of interviews, but how are you doing? Yeah. Like as, a, as a person, how are you doing, man? Cause I think how you're doing will help people understand and process all this madness. 125 interviews in 70 days. Public enemy releases 15th album. What you going to do when the grid goes down? which uses the platform of recording not to sell records, but to ask everybody a question, beware of government tricks, especially as we headed into November 3rd, just be aware. Don't sleepily just vote without knowing what you're doing. Understand your local as, a, as much as, you know, the, the, they, they try to make the presidential election a beauty pageant when it's, when it's not, it's really serious business. Mm. So, uh, I've done 125 interviews in 70 days, but that includes that, you know, there's about 75 countries in the mix too that I have to talk to. So I never talk to anybody asking me from a United States state of mind because I know that, yeah, I'm talking to Nebraska, but I also be talking to, you know, um, Auckland, New Zealand. And I got to be able to look at it from a humanist worldview on everything I do. Instead of saying, okay, you know, like, man, there's something that's not going down in, in, in Southwest Arkansas that I'm not feeling. <laughs> if you're talking to somebody from Kakistan, Kakistan, they're like, cool, but, you know, we got this thing over here. So I bypass governments with my discussion because I said, say, you want things uh, to be right and just as much as possible to share this world. So, yeah, I'm, I'm always in different coordinates, sir. And, um, but I do more listening than talking. I really don't enjoy talking all the time. And now we're in the visual age where you have to be seen as much as heard and sometimes seen talking, but that's what it is. So I know that I, I pick my points and I understand that, that, uh, you're an owner to what you think, but you're a slave to what you say. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, it's a great lifeboat mm -hmm. to get you out of waters that you can't swim in. So, I mean, uh, I'm doing, I'm doing well. I think, uh, musically and technically I prepared for these waters 20 years ago, engaging myself on the internet and, uh, public enemies, the first group in 1999 that released the album into cyberspace. Mm. Also knowing that, um, it's twofold. Uh, one reason is that you know, instead of me trying to sound like I was so, so smart, we knew that we had to go through a corporation in order to get to our fan base who was not a lot of the times a corporation wasn't in the country that we had our fan base. So the internet made the most sense. 
Mm. And it wasn't that, oh, I saw it coming, but the tree was leaning like this because it's not like we're going to make Britney Spears records. We're not going to be pop icons and stuff like that. We're going to actually push a point of view that might be viewed as being outside the norm, uh, you know, radical in many cases, just to push that point. So we knew that getting directly with our folks had to come another way as opposed to the old way of, no, you release a record, hope that MTV loves you, hope that BET plays it, hope that you ain't got to remove a logo for a video and you got to play the politics of distribution, which is, it is what it is, whether you like it or not. And I just said, well, there's another world that's being created now. It's already created. And eventually the real estate of whatever you might believe will be planted and distributed in that world in 10, 15, maybe 20 years. And uh, we planted those seeds in 1999. So with all this that has collapsed in the citizens world, we've seen citizens cross over into netizens mm. without the understanding of the, the rules in the netizen world. Mm. And it's, it's crazy because you have people who now will make a mistake in the netizen world, i.e. cyberspace, but pay a citizen's price for it, i.e. probably go to jail. Mm. So your physical pays a price for a world that used to be like kind of frivolous and kind of like half imaginary. Now right. it's a real world. right? And we've seen the, the, the pandemic for whatever way you want to believe it or, or for better or worse, has crossed people by default into that world, whether they like it or not. Your, your netizen's presence rivals your citizen's existence. Yeah. And, and this, you, you could kind of put things into that world that people will believe with their mind, bodies, and souls in their physical state. So there's all kinds of things. People are not net literate. People don't have net etiquette. There's a lot of things that are just raw that, that also they just pass through with people saying, well, that's truth. But that makes it even more of a, uh, uh, it puts us in a, in a sort of like a hazy situation because what is truth? The thing about reading a book is that it freezes you to the time of when you want to read it and then comprehend it, comprehend it and then apply it or process it. In the cyber world of digital, it can disappear. Hmm. Like a three-card money game. First, now you see it. You think you understand it. Now you don't. <laughs> like, And the thing that we used to say years ago is really applying now. It's like out of sight, out of mind. Well, when you you know, tend to kind of like listen with your, with your eyes, out of sight means it's kind of out of mind for real. Mm -hmm. So you can manipulate the truth to a lot of people, especially if it comes over uh, a wide band of, of hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions. Which is, what's people which is, yeah, which is what's happening now all over the place. Why I think you and Public Enemy and your audience are kind of built for this moment. I said that in the intro, but I really think it's true. You are, you know, you are a man of, of many cultures, of many people. You're loved and, and followed and respected worldwide, but you're not bound to a format or a technology. Your talent and your voice you know, transcends a lot of that and, and, and it prepares you for this. I, I've said before that I think a company like mine is built for this moment. And many mm -hmm. of us who've been uh -huh. in combat are built for a moment like this, but you're built for a moment like this too. 
Well, well, you know, you got to also admit to the point when you're, you're that that ugly little little ice breaking tugboat. That's that's what we are. You know yeah, what I'm saying? it's like yeah. you're not going to get you ain't going to get no. Ah, I've been you know, uh, yeah, yeah. You break yeah. the ice. You keep it moving. And that's you know important. We need that right now. So let me ask you. You talked earlier. You, you know, you said uh, somebody's drunken at the wheel. I think that's great. I've I've called Trump. Uh, you know, an, an abusive. Uh, a stepfather. We, I've called him. We don't even call. We don't. We don't even. My, my great brother, brother, be real. Who uh, was for four years my 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 rhyming partner in Prophets of Rage. Big up to the Prophets of Rage. We closed yeah. down last year, but uh, he says that's that's not even dignifying by calling by his name. We call him Forty Five. Okay, so Forty Five. <laughs> I love it. And Respect to anything Be Real wants to put out there in the universe. Especially, right, 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 right. Okay? Exactly. So 45, I've called him, uh, you know, a drunken, step, abusive stepfather. I've called him a political suicide bomber. I call him President Mayhem. He is yeah. drunk at the wheel of our country. But I got to ask you a question I ask of all our guests. Chuck D, what is your drink of choice? My drink of choice better be water from 60 on up. You know, um, I've never had coffee. I've never had, like, hard alcohol. I had a sip of wine when I turned 40. But uh, it better be water. I like um, I like the juices. Uh, I cut the juices with the water the older I get. But um, I think that's probably, it better be that. Um, wow, I mean, tea is probably the thing that gets me. And a, a nice, cold, green tea, chilled, Half water, green tea. That's what that's I got, man. Me. I must. He must have that's known good. it was coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that I, is, uh, you know, that's yeah. it's a little bit easier on the body when you get older, right? Like the coffee is the hard stuff, and the tea is yeah. a little bit more mellow. And, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I appreciate that because you know, look, man, you've got tremendous longevity, and you've been uh-huh. you've been that tugboat for so long. I want to ask these kinds of questions just so that people can understand. You know, tips from you on on how to do it, like how to do something, well, yeah, well, how to survive. A, 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 lot of tips also, from, a lot of tips from you when you used to come to the radio station and you used to talk about your workout regimen. It was like, <laughs> it comes Paul Reichoff up to the station, diesel and like square jaw, like, let's do this, let's get it popping, you know? And yeah. uh, he was very inspirational to me. You know, I'd taken him to the stage, you know, workout. I mean, we have a, a saying that, you know, Public Enemy songs are very tough songs. You know, so 30 years ago at, at 30, you know, I'm like kind of like I'm really kind of like going at these songs, but also it can get the best of you. Now at 60, you know, you have to kind of train. You got to you got to do yeah. things that uh, you got to train. You got to be at the, the right weight. You got to be at the right wind. Uh, we have a saying, if you don't if you don't do the songs, the songs will do you. Mm. There's there's no way out when you're up there and you got to finish out, especially the profits took took you know to me to a good great physical level. Um, Anthrax was the group that taught me. Rap music is not as throttled hard, even though we was the throttled hardest act at that speed and power. But okay, we 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 well, first, I remember the first time playing with Anthrax in '91. We go on tour together. We play Poughkeepsie, and we're all playing football. And but at the sound check, after we sound checked it all, it's like you know. And I'm like, hmm, we're not guys. Seem like not taking it serious. And Scotty and 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 and, and uh, 
Charlie and, and Frank and whooped our ass the first yeah. night. And it wasn't and people like, well, how are you going to compare the musics? You're doing this and they're doing that. But they're doing that with intensity and we're doing this with lesser intensity. So we learned from them how to turn our intensity up on what we did, which was a physical test. Mm. And because, you know, when the person comes and remember those old days when people used to come in and, and see you yeah, <laughs> and Dude. be packed up tight in the crowd. I remember yeah. going to see you. I remember going to see Anthrax. I remember growing up in New York. You know, and hearing about you guys before I even heard you guys, right? And it's just yeah. to see that collaboration. I remember that collaboration, and for me, it was like different worlds coming together yeah. that were so powerful and so important, especially growing up in the tri-state area, right? Because I talked right. to, I talked to, I remember talking to a kid once who told me he saw Anthrax through like a hole in the wall when they were practicing once, and he was telling yeah. people, you know, he would pass around tapes, all that kind of stuff, long before the internet could do it. But you guys, you know, brought that intensity, but brought that work ethic brought that yeah. integrity um, and you always, you know, represented that part of the country in a way that was unique and tough and spirited. But I want to ask you a question I ask of all our guests going in that way, way back machine. Uh, when you were growing up, I guess on Long Island, right? Or, or wherever, yes. wherever, wherever this point came, what was, right. the, what was your first car? My first car was a 60. Well, I, really, my first car was a Chevelle. And I never got it off the road. It was a 68 Chevelle. But first car I drove was a 68 Le Mans that I put a 69 grill on myself. So you would look at the front and be like, whoa, this is 69. But the back was a 68. And back then in the days, we, I mean, you had to do it yourself. You had to, if you had a, if you had a, 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 a uh, what you call a transmission leak. Mm-hmm. You know, one time I had a transmission leak, summertime, driving through Hicksville. Me and Keith Shockley, you know, we 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 worked at Hicksville uh, Sears, changing tires. I left, I'm driving, got a leak. I'm like, went under the car, took tar off of the road and patched up the bottom of the tranny. And it worked for like two months, man. I patched it up. And, uh, you know, I mean, so you had to do that physically, which, which yeah, I think was the last era, the last generation uh, of do-it-yourself teenagers or 20-year-olds before, you know, you had to get, you know, services to fix your, mm-hmm. your vehicle and where everybody now is inclined to pressing a button and getting the service. Back then, you had to do a lot of things yourself because mm-hmm. during R&B, you know what R&B is? Reagan and Bush. <laughs> black folks, they had black folks. They had no money, and we were definitely at the top of the list, having no money. So you had to be resourceful. So that's what we were. So color, that's the Jeff, first what car. Co- what color? What, what color was the Le Mans? Blue. Yeah, what kind navy of blue? blue. Navy blue, blue, bro. Navy blue. Oh, navy blue. No, it was dope. Matter of fact, later on, I bought a, a Chevelle. About eight years later, and I shot pictures with with the Chevelle. I bought it from my uh, where I bought. I thought it from Floral Park or somewhere, and I uh, drove it down to Atlanta. And so that's a that's a Chevelle that people see me with, but that's like the, the same Chevelle I had. But I bought a new, another one. I never got the first Chevelle I bought off the road. That's a good- and then people and people think I. Uh, I, I never got it on the road. People thought I had a 98. I never really drove the 98. My brother kind of took it and snatched it. And 
I don't know what he did with it, but um, but I'm known for making the first love song for a car in hip hop, and it was called uh, "You're Gonna Get Yours." My '98, but I never had a '98. But I I did have a '98, but I never really got it working right. It was really an homage to the '98 Posse, who uh, a bunch of banditos in Long Island who um, came and protected our gigs. But they were all in 98s. They were like thugs in 98s. And they used to do things like cut off the parkway in case if somebody came out to Nassau County and wanted to start up, they would be like, well, they only got one way out of here, you know, to go back to Queens and Brooklyn. And um, that's how tight the 98 posse were. My, my wife is a daughter of Long Island and she, and anybody who grew up in Long Island and is going to is going to love hearing that answer. Uh, and I love. You know, the resourcefulness that you talk about has driven you through all of this. The grittiness has driven you through all of this. The creativity has driven you through all of this. Uh, Here we are, right? This election has happened. Chuck, you know, it's a couple weeks out now. Trump is fighting the results. It looks like he's going to fight the whole way out. Um, What is your breakdown of the election? What, what, what What do you take away from it? And what do you see coming forward? Well, I think one, in my own opinion, people kind of saw this coming because, you know, 45 already put hints out there that it was going to be crooked. It was not going to go in his way and be way of this out there. When he clearly was told that because of this year, what will be accelerated was the mail-in voting. I I voted mail-in. I did that also the last time. But um, I voted mailed-in. And so many people in the United States of America had done that. He saw it coming. I think he probably was caught by surprise that he didn't have more mail-in votes. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, uh, what we've seen over those last, <laughs> hey, come on, it's a, it's a, it's the actions of a kid that 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 you know played on the on the baseball field he pitched somebody hit it out the park and he starts crying and says i'm gonna take the my ball in the mitt home and, and f y'all it's like it's like you don't you don't expect this type of behavior out of your kids That's right. i mean and um it is one thing sports gives us it's like although i think the the voting process in the united states is a little bit on the primitive side i don't always think that more is better in anything I think that there, uh, uh, there's got to be a a, a, quant- a quality thing as opposed to quantity, but it is what it is, and that was the rules. Mm-hmm. And pretty much, it, it, he got in because I think that the Democrats were lazy; they were pompous; they dropped the ball in 2016. They offered no upgrade from from the incumbent, you know, uh, president that was leaving, President Obama. They offered really nothing. And I thought that, that when Hillary Clinton came out out of the out of the whole mess, Bernie Sanders and all that, and the smoke cleared, people were like, screw government if you're playing games like that. And I think Hillary Clinton, although this might not be true, I just think it smelled too much like monarchy. And people don't want a monarchy, mm. no matter how way you put it. It's like, yo, you were the first lady. Now you're going to be the president, too. It's like, I understand you're the first woman who's going for it, but that it wasn't enough. And then small things like 
she wouldn't go in and 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 uh what they call it stump uh out in some areas she was you know like i mean just kind of in a comfortable position yeah took it for granted i don't think you know life isn't anything you take for granted um saying that somebody running for president is something that i think is probably the most derogative thing derogatory um thing that you could say towards a, a citizen citizenship or citizenry because it ain't a game mm-hmm. it's a full not only is that a full-time job it's an overtime job mm-hmm. president obama is younger than me you see how much they aged him putting like what 20 years into eight years yeah i knew that president obama wasn't going to come in like the messiah and jesus to save the world it allowed me to buy the time to think as a world citizen. Okay, you know, okay, diplomatic situations are okay here. I'm going around the world, spending half my year outside the United States. I don't want to be trekking through precarious world zones based on somebody who might be drunk at the wheel. So when it came down to 2016, I was, you know, dude, like, what's going on here? Because it affected and I'm not saying it's about me personally, but it affected my way of world thinking, world life. Uh, it affected me in a whole bunch of different ways. So I just thought that when you see celebrities think that I'm going to do the job and just raise a hand because they're famous or infamous, it's the worst thing you can have, man. <laughs> because, I mean, I shouldn't even name the celebrities that said they was going to run for president, but are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. You're not used to working your job. How you gonna work for other people like your Chuck D for president? That's the work. That's the craziest thing anybody could ever tell me, especially at sixty. How about how about like, I don't want to. There's no way. How about, I don't know. Uh, how, about how about Chuck D for mayor? Maybe we need a new mayor, Chuck. We we need hell a new to the hell to right. the no, Paul. I'm like this man. I'm in music and culture for a reason. I wouldn't mind being a cultural ambassador because that's what go. I believe in, man. Let that's me, ask, Chuck, let me ask you this: Quincy, jo- Quincy Jones been trying to become a cultural ambassador. That would be great for for like forty years, and they they don't they don't get it. Hmm. You know. But, but I, I'm not to cut you off, Paul. Not it's right. like that you have to take something like that serious because when you go into a, a you you have to be a servant of the people yeah. 24 hours a day, man. And for four years, man, or two years, you yo, man, there ain't a thing like, oh, yeah, I just want to be that because I want to be the most watched, most powerful person in the region. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I, I, I totally disagree with any celebrity being in, in public office, I totally disagree with um, high office officials being over 65 years old. To give you an extra special spread out serving of delicious, righteous content, I'm going to spread this conversation out over two episodes. So you can look for this one now and another one in just a couple days. But it's perfect for your drive, your flight, your chill, or your reflection time around these holidays. Thanksgiving is the best. The ultimate American holiday that's about family and connection and sharing and thankfulness. And I hope you're able to spend it with family or friends or whoever it is that you love. 
Share your turkey pictures and holiday decorations on social media with me and add the hashtag IndependentAmericans so I can push them out and share them far and wide. I'm also running a turkey trot, which I might send some pictures of. We'll see how it goes. And every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, check me out on a new weekly segment on News Nation with Colin McShane. You can find News Nation everywhere on your cable network or at News Nation Online. I'll focus on national security vets and political news of the week and always post last week's show in the show notes. And look for me on Deadline White House Wednesdays from 4 to 6. It's normally Nicole Wallace, but she's out for a couple of months on maternity leave and Alicia Menendez will be filling in. And I'm occasionally going to pop up on the Joy Reid show on CNN and in other places. But look for me every week on News Nation and on MSNBC. Fighting the power requires independence. Fighting the power makes you part of the movement. And that movement will move us all forward into the future. A future that will be full of independence. Because independents are the future. And we're not alone in our independence. America's more divided than ever, but we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are working to change that. Adding light to contrast the heat of all the political shows out there. And working really hard, as you can hear in my voice after these last couple of weeks of work and coaching a couple of kids' soccer teams and a football team too. But if you're among that now 50% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. Our independent movement is the hope for the future. Country over party, light over heat, disrupting the status quo and fueling a new movement that spans all across our society. And our movement is growing this Thanksgiving holiday. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it far and wide like your favorite Thanksgiving dish. For me, personally, I love me some sweet potatoes and stuffing. I like the fancy stuff, and I even like the old-school stovetop. Definitely with sausage, got to have meat in it, but I love me some stuffing. So share it far and wide and invite others to declare their independence and stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom, especially this Thanksgiving, and it's the hope of our democracy, and it will keep you vigilant. No, you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant, and we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Hamas. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. Stay vigilant, America. And happy Thanksgiving. Powered by Righteous Media.